You are listening to the Balmetto State Podcast, where we have conversations about all things basketball with a South Carolina flavor. Let's get started and tip off this episode with your host, the head basketball coach at Westwood High School, John Combs. Today, I'd like to welcome into the podcast head coach in waiting for Oak Hill Academy and Ridgeview High School head basketball coach, Yerick Stoneman. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Coach Combs. I appreciate y'all having me on. Look forward to it. Thank you. When you hear that, head coach in waiting for Oak Hill Academy, how does that make you feel? Well, I, you know, definitely I'm excited about this opportunity, but I think there will only be one coach at Oak Hill, and that's that'll be Coach Smith. You know, he's not only a great person, uh, a great father, uh, a great coach, but he's also been a, a mentor of mine for uh, almost 30 years. So uh, definitely excited to be a part of that. What do you feel like you have taken from Coach Smith? I mean, what? Uh, how, how does his influence impact your coaching and how you handle yourself today? Well, I think, one, you know, how he addresses his uh, players. You know, uh, you know, he definitely taught me that, you can't coach just one way or you have to coach multiple ways depending on the, the personnel you have, whether it's as a team talent or, you know, even individuals. You know, I don't think, uh, you know, for example, Javon Benson, I coached different than I did Sincere Scott or, you know, Waylon Napper was different than a Malcolm Wilson. And, you know, off this year's team, Gigi, I had to coach different uh, than Xavier Moultrie to get the same result. It's not that I'm asking less of one or the other. It's just how you speak to them, how you can address them. You know, you got to know their personalities. Uh, and then also, I, I think the biggest thing uh, that, that you'll learn from coach when you're around them is success is, you know, you can't cheat success. So if you want success, you got to really work hard. Uh, you can't take shortcuts to, uh, you know, try to get to where you're going. If, if you truly want success, you're going to have to work for it. You know, and that's Coach Smith has got a great reputation, and I know that's uh, you, you've certainly got some tough shoes to fill. But I, I know you're excited about the opportunity for sure. Um, as a coach, what are you most proud of during your past six years uh, at Ridgeview? I mean, you were there only you were there for six years, four state championships, and many other awards. It's going to take too long to list. What, what are you most proud of during that time? Well, I think one is. You know, looking at that first group of, of guys that I had, which, you know, of course, you had the same opportunity to coach those, those guys, too. But that first group are now becoming productive people in society. Uh, you know, we have Josiah, Cody, both of you and I coach. He's married. He's an unbelievable husband. Uh, you know, hopefully you and I had some type of impact on, on that. Um, you know, Caden Rice has just now got his master's degree from Georgetown. Uh, you know, he's graduated. I've got several of those guys that first year uh, that are, you know, doing well in the military, whether it was the Navy, uh, the Air Force or uh, the Army. So I have several of those that are, are you know, you know, basketball wasn't for them or football because, you know, we, we have multiple sport athletes, you know, that wasn't necessarily for them. But, you know, they're doing great things in our military and which we definitely need that uh, as we speak. No, no doubt about it. And, you know, you've got a military background. How, how do you think that influences your coaching today? Uh, you know, I, I think, one, the structure. You know, you have to have structure. You have to have discipline. Uh, 
I think time management is a key too uh, with the coaching because you know you know all too well it's just coaching. It's probably about ten percent of what we do. If we just just coach, it only take ten percent of our time. It's the other things that you know, especially young people who aspire to be a head coach have no clue. They just think the coaching is it, or even parents and in the stands they're yelling at us but what they don't realize this that what we're doing right there and they're seeing us that's 10 percent of what we do uh you know we're constantly checking kids grades trying to get them in the right spot do the right things uh schedule buses uh to make sure we got team meals with parents you know on and on you know if somebody's sick or if you know somebody is dealing with something at the house coaches are the ones usually helping those uh student athletes get through that and you know uh, I think that that helps there, you know, the discipline and time management. But uh, also, you know, not necessarily from the military, but from a, a guy who was my first boss. Uh, and I, I've taken so much everything that that he's done in my life. He just passed a couple months ago, but uh, his name was Bud Nelson. He officiated. He was the head uh, rec director uh, from the town I was at. And, you know, the thing that I take for him and, and I do here is that, uh, he never asked me to do a job or a task that he wouldn't do or has done, haven't done. And, you know, to, to give you an example is, uh, you know, I was a lifeguard. So you got to add chlorine to, uh, to the pool or, you know, redo the pumps, check the scammers. He would come in with back in our day, it was penny loafers and nice slacks pressed. Uh, you know, he throws chlorine in before you know it, his pants would be all tied dyed or, you know, if it was in the spring or fall and I was weed eating, he would just come grab the weed eater from me. And before you know it, he had grass stains all over him. So what he taught me is that uh, no matter what position you're in or what title you hold, no job is too small or too less for you to do. And, you know, that's what I do. I, I make sure the kids uh, not necessarily see me sweep the floor, but I'm the one who sweeps the floor. You know, I'm the one who puts the chairs out so that they know if I ever ask them, hey, can you do that? They know it's just not me making them do it. They've seen me do it as well. Well, Coach, there's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, your reputation, what I've seen, you're, you're not too big for uh, any, any task. I've seen you do a lot at a lot of different times and different events. So you certainly live what you preach there. What would you say is the toughest part about coaching high school basketball? Oh, Toughest part about coaching high school basketball, you know, I, I've been very fortunate here at Ridgeview. I've, I've got great administration. Uh, you know, of course, you worked under the same ones. They're unbelievable. Uh, so I, I think the hardest thing about it is just getting the kids to buy into the academic side of the house. Uh, you know, I'm never going to do the work for the kid, but just, you know, constantly checking grades. Uh, going over with them, trying to get them to do it. And, you know, a lot of times I think our, I don't know if society is the right word, but I, I think we are allowing young people to uh, slide by with certain things. You know, we used COVID as a crutch. And I think now it's time to get away from that crutch of, you know, hey, if the kid don't do the assignment on time, uh, he gets 10 days or 15 days to make it up. Stop that. You know, I, I know when you went to school and I went to school, uh, if you didn't turn your assignment on time, you know, you got your zero and you find ways to make it up. I, I think uh, those things that I see in, in my eyes are the toughest is that we're enabling kids 
to not be successful in the long run in life. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think we we got to hold kids accountable because that's what it's going to be like uh, in, in the real world uh, for sure. What are your thoughts on social media and, and how they've impacted high school athletics? Well, I think to me, I, Ridgeview, and it could have started really with Perry Parks, you know, the football coach, uh, or at least in my eyes, because I came in at, at that time. Uh, it's great. A lot of people don't think so. I think it's great. It uh, allows us to display our student athletes and who they are, the person that they, they are, to a much broader area than just our community. I mean, you know, you've got, to give you an example, uh, and I, I just think it's amazing that you can be impactful to so many people. For example, Gigi Jackson, he signed a ball uh, for uh, two kids that is in Israel. They sent him a video back. They know who he is, you know, through uh, social media. But then they sent a video back thanking them, thanking Gigi and, and, and you know, really follow, trying to follow his success. But, you know, that's crazy that, you know, before social media, it was only, you know, the state paper or, you know, you might get a, a, a regional look at something. But now it's global. Uh, I think it's great. Uh, I think kids have to be educated on making the right post, saying the right things, uh, because, you know, you know, especially Gigi or, or some other D1 athletes, uh, you know, they post the wrong thing. It could really impact them uh, negatively for their whole lives. And so, so I think coaches have to, and that's another job that a coach has to do, you know. Absolutely. is just educate them on how to do, uh, you know, post things social on social media the correct way. Well, give us some examples or, you know, or talk about what do you advise your players on social media? Well, I, I think, you know, one, regardless of what you post, I, there was one, uh, one of our players, uh, someone had made a fake account, posted a picture of one of my players. And, uh, you know, you know how you can grab Snapchat and you can put words on it. They acted like he said it and they put it out uh, on social media and they tagged other college coaches on it and it wasn't it. So, you know, I, I show them that, look, see, see what can happen. You know, this person made a, a, a fake account and threw you out there negatively. So, you know, everything you post, you got to understand, you got to be uh, careful at what you do. You know, uh, I, th I think parents, need to also be involved, especially early on, teaching them. And, you know, if they post something inappropriately, that they, they you know, they, they educate their kid on that as well. I, I think it's going to take a lot of people uh, to help the kids figure it out as we go on. But, you know, like the positive things of it is, you know, we have Josh uh, McDowell. He does an unbelievable job of, you know, putting our content out there in a way that it relates to young people and gets people excited. And I think our, that's helped our environment of when we play basketball games, we have more people wanting to come out. Uh, you know, we play music, we, you know, it's more of an eight, uh, HBSU uh, type feel. So, you know, uh, it's great to have. Yeah, no, he, he does a, a, a great job. And I think that's one of the things you talk about the, 
the village that you have there at Ridgeview High School does an outstanding job of creating a great environment. You, you talked a little bit about G.G. Jackson, and I think we all know he's a really great basketball player. And I know him to be a great person. Talk to him about what type of person is he? Well, maybe a lot of people don't understand, you know, uh, or, or know this about him is that, you know, he's very, very active in his dad's church. You know, his dad's a bishop uh, at a word of God uh, church. So he's very active in that, uh, you know, take basketball out of it. He's going to be successful in, in the music side of, of life. Uh, you know, at church, he plays the uh, drums. He plays the keyboard. He sings. So th those things like that, and to me, you know, I, shoot, I, I'm not musically gifted by no means, but, uh, you know, it's definitely nice to see him. And, you know, his dad sent some things from the church to me and to show me how talented he is. Uh, but, you know, I think his personality is different than most kids. He's always happy. He's always smiling. Uh, now, game time, he's got a different focus, you know. He, uh, but every, every other time throughout the day, he's just – you don't see him down. You know, a lot of times kids are up and down like a roller coaster. He's always on a high, enjoying life. Uh, you know, it's just fun to be around. I, I think, uh, you know, he brings a lot of people within our school into his circle, you know, to keep them on the right path. And, and you know, so things like that, it, it's special to see from Gigi. And, uh, you know, I, it, he's just a special kid, not only basketball-wise, but as a person for me. Yeah, no, he he seems to be a, a, a fun-loving guy that just that people seem to gravitate uh, towards. All right, now we're going to place you in, in a in a spot of real responsibility. You are going to be named the the chief, the head, the czar of the South Carolina High School League. What is a change you would make to impact basketball? Uh, I, I think the the easiest one to, to say. You know, you put me on a big spotlight, so I'm gonna go with the easiest one. I think one change that needs to happen is that, uh, you know, high school basketball is the only one that, you know, in all 50 states, if you look at it, but all of high school basketball doesn't have a shot clock. I don't know why. I mean, uh, you know, people say, well, smaller schools don't have the money or people to run it. But then again, you know, the state of New York has done it for over 20 years. Uh, California has done it for over 20 years. So there's multiple states right now. I think we might have 12 or 14. Uh, 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 Georgia is, is moving in that process. I think next year is legit. Uh, you know, they figured it out. Why can't the state of South Carolina figure it out? And, you know, it wouldn't affect the style of play that I, that I do. But, uh, you know, there were some games, though, this year. I used it to my advantage, especially late, late season in the playoffs. We, uh, you know, we get up by 12 or 15, you know, we're going to hold the ball a little bit. Uh, you know, I learned that from the state quarterfinal last year when we lost. Team that we were playing went up four. Boom, they held it. That was it. Uh, you know, and that was for four minutes. They held it. You know, we would foul, and they go free throw line to come back, and then they hold it again. So, uh, you know, I, I think it would be great to have in basketball, uh, and I don't think it would be a disadvantage to, uh, you know, smaller schools that who would try to play bigger schools uh, because, you know, people, typically people think that, the smaller schools are going to try to hold it against the bigger schools or the uh, less athletic schools. But, you know, they do it in college and they can be successful as well. You know, the less athletic schools uh, can do that as well. So uh, I think that would be one. Uh, and maybe this this is different, but let's do a state championship rotation basis. And this, I know that we've sent it out, but, uh, you know, I think 
regionally, the state championship be should be held at four different regions. I, here's my exa the example that I will put. One year at the CLA. The next year, and that's the Midlands. The next year, it should be down in Charleston, for example, at College of Charleston. Uh, the following year, let's take it up to upstate uh, to uh, Walford or Furman. Uh, and then, you know, you, you can take it if you want to go to Florence or you go to Coastal Carolina. Why not? Uh, you know, and, and that way it's, say, the four corners of South Carolina that, that you know, it, it would give opportunities for, uh, you know, I think it's a disadvantage if if we're in it in South Carolina and it's in Columbia because it's easier for our fans to travel. Uh, and then again, you know, let's don't forget uh, this year. I thought they did a great job of having it the past two years with USC Aiken, so that could be that corner that we hit. But why not uh, rotate it around a little bit, but make sure that's at bigger venues where the kids, uh, you know, have some sort of excitement. Like, you know, I, I know the times that we went throughout the season. We're going to CLA. We're going to CLA. The kids were excited. Uh, don't pick a, a, a venue where, hey, we're going to Bridgeview High School or we're going to Bridgeview High School. Let, let's get some nice uh, venues uh, and showcase those those venues for the whole state as well. No, I, I agree with that. I think that would be fantastic because um, we do have some really good venues here in South Carolina that I think could could host state championships very well. What, what advice would you give to a first-year head coach that maybe you didn't know? He calls you up and say, Coach, uh, I'm, I'm got my first head coaching job. What kind of advice can you give me? First thing, you have to build a relationship with your kids. Forget all the other people uh, within your school system. Your first job is to build a relationship with those kids. And once you build that relationship with those kids, those kids are going to do whatever you ask them to do. In return, they know that if they have to ask you to do something, you're going to do it in return as well. So that's the number one thing is make sure that you build relationships with your, your students. And, you know, I, I know sometimes in South Carolina, uh, we have open season dead periods, uh, you know, and you can't necessarily be with them. But, you know, find ways to impact all the kids who in your school want to play basketball, for example, uh, you know, or if it's football, same thing. You know, make sure that you build relationship with all those kids. Uh, I think that's the key. Uh, the next thing is, you know, we, which we touched on a little bit, that you're getting ready to get yourself into a, a thing that uh, what you think coaching is is it, but it's only 10% of what you do. You know, another thing is, you know, you're going to have to do laundry every every day. You know, people always say, I don't, you know, I'll, I'll let the manager or somebody else. Well, you need to be one responsible for it because in return, you're going to be missing jerseys. You're going to be missing uh, – <laughs> You know, basketballs, getting them up, you know, sweeping the floor, uh, you know, making sure that the kids, if they're injured, make sure they get to their trainer, make sure that they have physicals, uh, you know, so time management and uh, is a key as well. You know, as your time is winding down at Ridgeview, is there any game or two that just stand out more than other, maybe not even a state championship game or memory there uh, that just sticks with you? I think there's there's two games uh, that defined who we were at Ridgeview. I think my uh, – and I, I'll tell you a funny story at my first game, but, but the second game that we we had played, we were playing Spring Valley here. Uh, we were uh, down early, and which we, I felt we had a much better team. We were down early, and the kids weren't doing what I've asked them to do. And so I, I called a timeout, and I can remember, and this is Josiah, Caden, Trey High, 
Waylon Happer, uh, Trakel Fleming, uh, Darian Johnson. Those were the, the key guys on that team. Malcolm Wilson also. But, you know, I, I let them know the way you're doing it, we're going to be a 50% team. I know for a fact what I'm doing works. You have to believe in me. And so from that point, it just seemed like I gained the trust in, in the team by saying that. Uh, and that's one thing that sticks out off of that team. I think uh, uh, another one for – I'll go through a couple of years, maybe go through a couple of games. Uh, another one that year, uh, we were playing Irmo. And uh, it was during our Christmas break. We didn't have uh, school that day, so we had a shoot-around. I had two players didn't show up, two starters. You know, of course, we know what Irmo is about and how good they are. They're, they are year in and year out. Uh, two of them came and they said, I said, well, you missed shoot around. You owe me because we were there for 45 minutes. I said, you owe me 45 sprints. You know, I do I always do one one sprint per minute. And they're like, nah, we're not going to do it. I said, no problem. You're not playing. And we turned around, ended up beating Irmo by 20. So that's another uh, thing that came out in which Irmo was really good that year as well. But that that they're like, oh, gosh, you know, they can win without me. Uh, but I, I think the the main game that really defined who Ridgeview were or was and is, is uh, my second year, third round at Aiken. Aiken was number one in, in the state at the time. Uh, they were big, and we were all juniors. We had one senior, and he was our 16th man on the team. But uh, we came in the game. Uh, I was – a little bit nervous because I, I knew that how good they were. We ended up just smacking them quick. We beat them by over 20. Uh, it's like 22, I think we ended up beating them by. But the intensity of that game and how we played, uh, making shots, uh, you know, I can just remember like just how we, you know, drive, kick out, Juice hits a three in the corner. Uh, Waylon gets to the rim, lays it up. The very first four possessions of that game, Aiken tried to dunk it on Malcolm. Very first four. They, that that nice. was their job. It's like, hey, we're going to – because, you know, Malcolm ended up with 187 blocks his, his junior year, which that's amazing. Maybe a, a close to a state record, if not a state record. But he had 187 blocks. Uh, they they knew that they were going to just attack him. So we pressed. We're not, we weren't very good pressing, but they would attack him. So first four possessions, he just blocked it. We're out on fast breaks. Boom, lay it up. Uh so that game right there, and of course we went on winning the state, but that was a, a, a key, key game in who we were and it defined us because it gave us the confidence that we can beat anybody. And of course, next year we, we returned everybody. Uh, and then, you know, I, I think a, a big game, or excuse me, a big year was that third year we won in a row because we had lost so many people off that team. We really only had two, uh, two main guys that played a lot uh, on, on that. And of course this year we had uh, only one of our top nine players returned, and we won a state in 5A. So, uh, you know, but a lot of it's GG, and a lot of it's our guards who were disciplined. I think this year's team was the most disciplined team that we've had. Is there a game that or two that sticks out to you that, that, that maybe you didn't win and that just you, you think about? Because I, I know there, as a coach, there's always been a couple that stick out in my mind. Uh I know there's not many you didn't win, but yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, we, we lost quite a bit. But uh, you know, I 
I think what stuck, you know, one of them is last year's uh, state quarterfinal game. We played Dorman. Uh, we ended up losing, but we had had a great scout on them. Our guys understood all the sets. They were just making big shots. We were making some good shots. But, uh, you know, I, I think because I, I coached a little different than, than some, I give my players a lot of freedom. Uh, but then I know when to dial them back. Uh, but, you know, Gorman is more disciplined and controlling. You know who's going to take the shot. When they run a set, you know which guard's going to take the shot. Um, and if he's not open, they'll reset and go to something else. Uh, but I think that game really bothered me all summer, all year, because I, I really felt like we had the better team. It just wasn't the better team that night. Uh, and then, you know, there was a couple of plays where, like, uh, Tyler Rice hits a three on the right wing. Next possession, he backs up five more feet and shoots it again, uh, misses it. Gigi has the rebound, but it gets taken away, and they go score. Uh, the next possession down, just because we are free playing, Day uh, Day hits uh, shoots a, a three from the wing. We missed that. And so we ended up still going into the fourth quarter up one, but if we'd been more patient there at the end, uh, you know, I don't think they, they could have held the ball, uh, you know, that last four minutes. And then also – uh, you know, I did a, a poor job of, you know, they started playing zone. And when Dave Everett, he was the one that were, he probably had the best game of that game, but they were leaving the high post open. We thought high post and, you know, he, he'd score, he'd uh, get Gigi the ball short corner. Uh, but he picked up this fourth foul. And so at that point, the momentum switched. I kept four guards out and kept Gigi on the short corner instead of, like, say, put Day-Day at the free throw line. So a lot of those – that game right there is the one that's stuck, stuck in my head. And then I think me as a coach got better from it because I made sure our guys were more disciplined this year. Uh, and I tried to pull back the reins a little bit more than I have. And I think it, it actually helped us this year, with, especially with the group that we got. Well, that was an excellent basketball game. I remember watching it. It was just a, two heavyweights going, going at it, and it was a, a, a great game. Now – as you're making your, your transition over to Oak Hill, what do you think is going to be your, your greatest challenge? A uh, greatest challenge, you know, Oak Hill's different. Uh, I'm not Steve Smith, uh, you know, and I'm going to be the first to tell you, you know, like Coach Smith never recruited. A lot of people just called him. So my biggest challenge is, is, is to recruit. You know, at, at the high school level, you didn't have to recruit. You know, a lot of your recruiting was done by – you know, people, if they wanted to come to school, they saw what, what you did on the court. You know, I want my son to play for this coach. I like it, the system he's playing. And so they'll find a way to get him to that school. But, uh, you know, at Oak Hill, I have to recruit, uh, you know, and, and I, but I, I see it different because I might be one of the few coaches in the NIBC or, you know, in the, in, in a, a private school setting who is coached at a high school level and knows what it would be like to lose one of your best players. Uh, you know, I, going into it, you know, I, I knew probably uh, I, I was contacted by Coach Smith in June. So I had an idea back last June that this is, you know, it was going to be my job because this is who he was wanting. And then October for sure, I knew that I was getting it. It's just a fact when Coach announced it. So, you know, I, I've known for a long time. But even before that, uh, when Gigi was a sophomore, I was already telling Gigi's daddy that he needs to, if I can't challenge him, he needs to move on. Uh, and I think that's a, a respectable thing for a, a high school coach to do. If you can't challenge your kid to get better, and especially with Gigi, Gigi has a, a 
a real, real, real chance of making significant money from basketball. Uh, and but if he if his path is not laid out correctly, it could delay it, or it could he could he might not be able to reach it. Uh, you know his his potential or his ability to make uh, real money. And I'm not talking hundred thousand by going overseas. I think he can go overseas and right now and make that. But I'm talking millions. Uh, so you know he has that ability. Uh, but his, you know, at that time we were like, hey, you either got to go to Oak Hill, Mount Verde, IMG. There's somewhere you got to go your senior year. And you know, like this year we challenged him as much as we could. We played a national schedule. We played uh, in the Bash. We played the three top teams. We went to Chick Fil A. Uh, played in the toughest division. It wasn't necessarily t- uh, top three teams, but uh, you know, we did play uh, prolific prep and I, excuse me, prolific prep, Huntington prep and legacy. So those are big time schools. Uh, we went to Vegas. Uh, we went to uh, uh, New Orleans and played there. So, you know, we challenged him, but he's, he doesn't get challenged in practice. Even though I've got a, a, a really good big guy that, that can push him a little bit, but in, in Donovan Rivers, but it's not the same as if he's at Oak Hill and he's going against a high, another high major player every day. You know, so he can't be comfortable. Uh, so I, I think my biggest challenge, to get back to your question, is uh, being able to recruit. So I think that's, you know, basketball coaching. I think I'll, I'll be okay. Uh, you know, I, I spend a lot of time scouting and uh, preparing, and I, I feel like I can run a, a, a high caliber practice. Uh, so you know, the basketball aspect will be fine, but it's the uh, recruiting aspect. I've got to find players uh, that can fit your system. You know, right now I've got 10 scholarships that I can use, uh, you know, but you can't keep 10 guys happy. Not not in a 32 minute ball game. So, you know, it's hard bring in eight high major guys and then let's figure it out from there. Coach, tell us one moment in which you knew one of your players was going to be special. Well, this particular player is Malcolm Wilson. Oh, uh, at the time, he had already signed with Georgetown. He was the highest recruit ever at Ridgeview. And that was probably 24 years at the time that the school had been around. So of 24 years, he signed with the school at the highest than anybody else. Uh, we were actually playing in a Christmas tournament over at Ben Lippin. Uh, I think it was a Phenom Hoop Christmas tournament or something like that. Uh, we were playing a team. They were all about 6'2", 6'3", guards. You know, if you know Malcolm, Malcolm's 6'11". Right now he's seven foot seven one, But, uh, and, you know, he was our, our key player, especially that junior year, especially defensively. Uh, but they were all small. So we ended up going into double overtime. Going into the fourth quarter, I didn't play him half the fourth quarter, didn't play him in the first overtime or the second overtime. Needless to say, this is the highest uh, – recruited player ever at Ridgeview and you're not playing them, but defensively we, we couldn't match up offensively. We needed to score as well. Uh, but, you know, at Ben Lippin, they only had 15 chairs. You know, we always carried about 16 guys, 17 guys with us. And then we got about six or seven coaches. So uh, when he's out of the game, I'm noticing that he's sitting behind in the, in the stands behind the bench. I'm looking, trying to figure it out. We call timeouts and double overtime, overtime. He's handing out water. He used to say this is the, the highest recruited player ever at Ridgeview. He's handing out water. 
no one else on our team would move over and give him a spot on the bench. But he was still – he didn't care about uh, himself. He didn't care about, you know, his ego. All he cared about is the success of the team. And, he, and I'm, you know, I'm just amazed that he's handing out water. Or, you know, like I said, probably the most dominating player in the state defensively is handing out water during timeouts. And after the game, I apologized to him. I said, Malcolm, I'm sorry. I just felt like I couldn't play you uh, because they were just so small and, you know, we needed more guards out there. He's like, Coach, I don't – I just – I know what you're doing. I'm okay with it. And, I, and you know, I, I just want us to win. And from that moment on, I told him, I said, Malcolm, I, I've always felt like you were going to be successful in life. But this right here definitely uh, showed that you are – uh, successful already. You're going to be impactful to uh, multiple people. And, you know, needless to say, after he went to Georgetown, he redshirted his freshman year. He was one of two people to be asked to be on the oversight committee of the NCAA basketball. One of two basketball players of all the college basketball. That shows you the type of person he is. Uh, so I have more respect for him not just because of that, but, you know, how he carries himself uh, on and off the court. But, you know, that's the one story that will always stick with me uh, as – and he might be one of my favorite players of all time to ever coach because of that. Well, he's certainly a, a special young man. I want to try to end with a couple of quick, rapid-fire questions for you. Where is your favorite place to eat in Columbia? Favorite place right now? Yep. Upper Crust. Upper Crust. Where is that at? Uh, it is near Cardinal Newman. What's that? Polar Road? Just off Polar Road? That yeah. BP gas station? It's in there. Okay. Well, you just you just earned them a sale. Well, I'll have to try that. Well, we, we, uh, we ate there Wednesday night. We usually probably go about once a week. <laughs> and then the second, my second favorite, which is just a, a quick grab and go, is uh, East Bay Deli. Right there on Clemson Road. I, I go there for lunch about twice a week here. Very, very good place. All right. Who is one player you coached against that you would you would have enjoyed coaching? Uh, Russell Jones from Westwood. And he was the toughest guy. You know, we played, uh, you know, we played several McDonald's All-Americans since being here at, at Ridgeview. Since being here at Ridgeview, I've, we've played – 146 different D1 guys in six years. He's the one that gave us the most trouble of all of them. And he's five. I'm going to give him five, eight. So we will be nice with <laughs> five, eight. But uh, the most humble young man that you'll meet, uh, the hardest playing young man, you know, I got to see him as a sophomore to a senior year and, you know, followed him with his AAU program because he played with uh, Wayland. Uh, you know, just seeing him out in the community, and of course, you know, I'm sure he comes back to Westwood, and 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 uh, you know, but I'm telling you, just an unbelievable person. Uh, I just got a lot of love for him, man. I, I wish I had the opportunity to coach him. Well, so so did I. I came in unfortunately after him, and I would have. You could just tell he's a basketball junkie, a gym rat, loves to compete. Uh, that that's a that's a great answer. Um, if you could sit down with one person and have a meal with somebody you haven't met before, just to spend a little time talking and sharing a meal, who would it be? Mm, that's a tough question. Probably a, there's a lot of them, but um, 
you know, I think Dean Smith, I mean, I, I'm not a North Carolina fan. I'm a Virginia Tech fan, but uh, I think Dean Smith, because, you know, when I was growing up, best friend was a North Carolina fan. And of course, you know how kids are. You always went with somebody else. So I went for Clemson, even though I was from Virginia. Uh, my first basketball was a rubber basketball from Kmart when I visited my uncle who lived in Irmo. Uh, my, I was like sixth grade, fifth grade. It's my first basketball. You know, uh, we, did, we didn't have a whole lot, but it was a, a rubber basketball. It was Clemson. So I think, man, well, I got to be a Clemson fan. But, you know, just watching him all the years, uh, you know, when I was at Okio, he did come to the gym some, but just being able to reminisce with him about the players that he coached. And, you know, I, I think it'd be unique to hear him talk about he's the only one, only person in the world that could hold Michael Jordan under 20. So I, I, I want to ask, <laughs> ask him about that. That's, that's an awesome answer. And here's our last question for you. How do you want to be remembered as a coach? Uh, someone who brought family into, uh, into his program. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, especially here at Ridgeview, uh, you know, unfortunately because of COVID, we haven't been back to church together, but, uh, you know, I always say that you're not true family unless you can worship together. And we find other ways to worship together here at school, but, uh, you know, bringing a family atmosphere. I think when we won that first state championship, I, I talked about, uh, you know, when I'm 70 years old, 80 year old, whenever it's going to be that my kids put me in the nursing home, that I do truly have people that's going to come visit me, uh, you know, because of the impact that I had on their lives. And, and it's really based off of family relationships that, that we tried to do, even though, you know, I call all of them my brother. That's just who I am. I always say uh, when they text me, thanks, my brother or hey, my brother, I need you to do this because even though they're younger than me, they're still my brothers, you know, whether it's a brothers in, in arms through basketball or brothers in arms through life. Uh, so I, you know, I, I hopefully that, that carries on long past me. You've been listening to the Balmetto State Podcast. We would love to connect with you on social media and hear what you think. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by going to at Balmetto State. 